In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. And today we have a super special episode for you. Um, we are doing a uh, first Republican primary debate special. So we'll be focusing specifically on breaking down the primary debate. Um, we're going to, you know, this is something we've done in the past with previous debates, although not in a while because we've been debate free since, uh, you know, early, what, 2020? Um yeah. Yeah, debate specials is something from the early days of the Perspectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, and it started with us watching the debate and having so much to say that it would take at least a whole episode <laughs> to get through it all. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see whether that's true tonight. Because yeah, we're gonna try to keep it kind of short. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, I'm for one thing, I'm getting a little sick. You might notice my voice is a little raspy, mm. uh, and also. Um, and you know, more importantly, uh, because Starfield just came out. <laughs> I was gonna say because in the hour and forty minutes of talking that occurred, like nothing was said. So yeah, <laughs> that was gonna yeah. be my main point. Um, yeah, but we no, will the, uh, break it down. Yeah, fun fact: um, there are approximately uh, three hundred thousand legitimate criticisms of Joe Biden, and somehow. The Republicans on stage managed to spend the entire time criticizing Biden and not mention a single one. <laughs> I mean, Christie eh, kind of stumbled on one, but he didn't criticize Biden the way he should have. Mm -hmm. Like Christie brought up the crime bill, mm -hmm. but he used it as basically an attack on Joe Biden for supposedly not enforcing it enough on his son, Hunter. Mm-hmm. So because the criticism was not, hey, you locked up a bunch of brown people, uh, and it, instead it was, you didn't enforce this enough. Yeah. I'm not going to count it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they kept, they kept missing. It was, it was really funny. Um, and, so, and, one, and one other thing, sorry, uh, one other thing that I think approached a legitimate criticism but was very misleading was uh, pointing out the number of border crossings that have happened under the Biden administration. Yeah. Now, the reason why that number is so high is because Biden kept Title 42 up for so long. Mm -hmm. But the criticism of Biden was that he got rid of Title 42. So again, that also doesn't count. Yeah, totally. Yes. Okay, so there's, you know, there's a lot going on here. Let's, let's set the stage a little bit about, to talk about, you know, uh, for people that may not have watched the debate. So overall... We had, uh, this was the first debate ahead of um, the Republican primary. So these are all Republican uh, candidates for president on stage. Um, we had a bunch of candidates, but one conspicuously absent, which is Donald Trump, <laughs> who opted not to participate, um, which like I've heard a couple of people like frustrated that he uh, didn't participate, but ultimately like, why would you? He's polling in like, like he's at like 50%. He's been at 50% of the polls since like, um, uh, since like mid April, 
he he doesn't get anything by being on stage debating these people. He's just assuming that he's the presumptive nominee, which is true at this point. Um, See, I I disagree a little bit, um, because he actually did see a drop in the polls after the debate. Um, according to a hill, uh, according to a hill article, uh, he dropped uh, six points in a post-debate GOP poll. Now that's six points from like fifty thousand, but still. Yeah. Well, you are seeing yeah. it chip away. Except, and I mean, my thought is that they talked about Trump so little throughout the debate that that's probably not due to the debate. And well, maybe it's due to the debate, but my bet is that it's due to the Georgia indictment happened around see, the same time. See, I don't think it is because, I mean, at this point, with all of the indictments that have already happened, if you're supporting Trump, I don't think you're like I was with him when there was three indictments, but now that there's four, <laughs> it's beyond I don't the know. pale. Like yeah. honestly, I, I I don't buy that. I think that I think that it's because people saw that there were some alternatives, and mm-hmm. some of them had things to say that they liked. Um, I and and I will also say, I think it's a real pansy ass move to not be there. Now, I know that some Trump sycophants are going to be like, oh, it was so macho. He's so macho. But no, like the guy is a total fucking pansy. All right. He's seriously like th- this is such easy fodder for any political opponent to throw at him that I I just I, I find it I find it crazy that he, you know, that he didn't take that opportunity. And also it's Trump. He loves attention. He loves it. He craves it. He is so good at lobbing insults at random people. That's what made Republicans fall in love with him in the first place. They loved watching him on debate call Marco Rubio, little Marco, and, you know, criticize Jeb Bush to his face or, you know, make fun of Rand Paul's looks. People loved that shit. All right. That's the, that's the shit that Republicans in the original primary loved about him. I just... I think that this was a bad move, and if I'm if I'm a Trump advisor, I'd I'd be telling him, you know, yes, you're still in a steady lead, but honestly, if if you keep missing these debates, your lead might start to chip away, and you don't want that. Like you have, I I think he has much more to lose to not be at the debate than actually to be at the debate, based on based on what the numbers were afterwards. That's interesting. I mean, to be fair, that's a post hoc analysis of how the polls turned out after the after the debate. But um, so I think I agree for future debates, perhaps like for the first one. I think there's like so much uncertainty about the candidates and how well they perform and what they'll look like and how people react to them that like I could see it being a good move to hedge your bets, especially because you're you're right. I think that it was like a very it would be a very effective i think attack on trump to like call him out for not attending the debate and being like weak or scared or whatever it is but no one did it yeah. like they talked about Which his record a little they talked about Christie Jan Six, but yeah but no one called out the fact that he wouldn't come up there and and debate them and i thought that was a huge miss yeah i think i mean look Christie hit him hard on a lot of things, but, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Christie's the one that has kind of been, been the, you know, I mean, he's the kamikaze candidate. Yeah, like, totally. You know, yeah. let's, let's, let's call him what he is. He's the kamikaze candidate. He wants to try to sabotage Trump as much as possible. 
Yeah. Um, I just I do not think that he in any way thinks there's a reality that exists in any of the in in the, in the multiverse in which mm-hmm. he's actually going to get the nomination. But I think that, you know, doing his classic Christie insults at uh, at Trump really does miss the mark when you don't address the fact that the guy's too much of a fucking coward to even come on the stage in the first place. Totally. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about about Christie. Yeah. in this debate i think like i kind of was a little bit confused about his approach it honestly seemed a little bit like he was confused about his approach yeah like he did he did like discuss trump a little bit but he he kind of fell back on like a lot of like normal kind of old school republican talking points about like government spending and stuff like that and like he made a point about you know uh you know your point, what you mentioned about Biden and the crime bill, and made the point that you know Biden's not enforcing the crime bill against his own son, um, and how that was like a two tier system of justice and all that stuff, and and yet like he really like kind of held off on like discussing Trump very much until like the Trump segment, and then kind of really focused it on that piece. I don't know. I felt yeah. like. I feel like he seems like a kamikaze candidate who's just up there to go after Trump and try to drag him down. And yet at the same time, like, um, you know, in some ways it seemed like he was actually running in some ways. It just seemed like he was out there to like make his points about Trump. I don't know. I found him really confusing on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the analysis afterwards, like the, the post polls, uh, or the the post debate polls are also mm-hmm. a little bit confusing. Yeah, because according to five thirty eight, um, a poll of of likely Republican primary voters who watched the debate, a plurality of them said that Christie did the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. but then again, in another you know in another poll from five thirty eight of likely primary voters who watched the debate, um, whether or not they would consider voting for each of the candidate was uh you know, was compared before and after the debate. Mm-hmm. And Christie actually saw a jump from 18.2 to 22.1. That's a pretty fact, big jump. All of the candidates who were on the stage saw a jump. Well, uh, Trump saw a decrease. Yeah. But all of the candidates who were on the stage saw a jump. And uh, Haley actually saw the biggest jump. Okay, so that doesn't surprise me too much. And I think I think this actually is actually a super useful poll. So thanks for bringing this up. Because, like, ultimately it kind of supports your point about Trump missing the boat by skipping the debate. Although like he'll yeah. be able to presumably make that up in the future, but yeah, no one is deciding their choice for the primary based on this debate. There will be future debates, the caucus in Iowa, which is like the earliest decision that any voters will have to make is not until mid January. There's time um, for people to make up their minds, but to your point, it's going to be recognition. It's going to be, yeah demonstrating that you're like that you can play with the big dogs it's it's like it's so much more about getting into the consideration set of voters which is exactly what that question measures than it is about trying to like like be a like totally break out and like be their choice so like now people are going to be paying attention to these people much more than they were before and that's the big opportunity coming out of the debate and it's really interesting that kind of well, it's not actually surprising to me that all of them made progress because, again, 
it would be one thing if Trump was on the stage, but the fact that they have a huge front runner who wasn't showing up and now people have other people to consider who they probably weren't thinking about before, like now that makes sense. I I am actually also not surprised having watched the debate that Haley improved the most. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I will say like I I will have a million bad things to say about Nikki Haley uh, because of all the things that I disagree with her on. But the one thing that I will definitely say is that she was hands down the most substantive candidate on that stage. I completely agree. She was the only, I feel like she was the only candidate that almost consistent, like almost completely consistently actually uh, had an answer that was policy based. Yes. Right. She, she did very little, you know, grandstanding like oh look at me i'm for good things and i'm against bad things mm-hmm. the one exception <laughs> was the moment where she was like you know well this is why uh you know this is this is why margaret thatcher said you know if you want to um what, what was it if you want to if you uh, want something done if you want something talked about send a man if you want yeah. something done send a woman something <laughs> something like that yeah, yeah 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 and like when i first saw that like i was kind of like oh that's a very politician answer but then it's like i mean she did bring things back to policy consistently throughout the debate yeah, totally. and all of the dudes on the stage were basically babbling about complete bullshit. Like the fact that there was an exchange between Mike Pence and Ramaswamy about like, are people upset and depressed about the current state of things? I no, I think they're good. No, I think they're bad. Like what the <laughs> no. fuck? Is, why? Yeah. Why does this matter? Why yeah. is this a thing we are disagreeing about? They literally then, had an argument just to, yeah. if you didn't watch it, you, sh- you should, by the way. It's yeah, you funny. should. I watched it at 1.5 speed. It didn't take that long. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> totally doable. Um, but they literally were debating on like Ramaswamy was like, no, we're in a dark moment in American history. And Trump, or sorry, not Trump. Pence, Pence was like, yeah. Pence was like, no, like we need a the the people, the American people are fine. We just need a government that can live up to the people. Yeah, and like it's like one that seems over... really out of touch. But two, yeah, like yeah. you're literally arguing over perspectives with no facts of them like you're not citing yeah. anything and this went and the back and forth went on i know like what the yeah. fuck <laughs> for a long time who gives a shit yeah who gives a shit we're here to we're here to learn where you stand and yeah and again like nikki haley i think she did a good job of not getting herself caught up in that you know yeah. she did a good job of i'm um, of staying true to policy beliefs yep. uh, and also showing a surprising amount of consistency. One of the things mm-hmm. that you never ever see from Republicans is they'll, they'll blame Biden for the, for the inflation. Yeah. Right. And they're wrong about that, but they'll blame Biden for the inflation and they'll mm-hmm. cite uh, specifically the, uh, the stimulus package that he did as soon as he took office. Yeah. But then of course they won't bring up the fact that Trump put in a stimulus package as well two two and they were larger two. than the one biden did yeah yeah and they're you know they'll just pretend that that didn't happen now it's wrong that those stimulus packages were the primary driver of inflation the primary drivers were of course uh bottlenecking at ports of entry for supply chains mm-hmm. uh and also uh greedflation yeah right yeah these corporations jacking up prices those are the actual causes of it yeah so Nikki Haley is wrong, but at least she was consistently wrong. I know. Yeah. she. I was so surprised that she was like, it's not just yeah. about Democrats spending. It's about Republican spending, too. Yeah. And all of these people voted yeah. to support those bills. I thought it was a really good point against everyone on the stage, especially because right. Bo- I think it was right before that. Tim Scott 
made the same disingenuous point that every other Republican has been making on this, which is Trump saved America with spending and COVID, and we did great, and we're really proud of that. And also, Biden is causing all of this inflation with his COVID spending. And it's just like, yeah. you guys are lying to yourselves and everybody yeah. else. And I thought Nikki yeah. Haley's answer was really good. Uh, she was so she was showing consistency in terms of economic conservatism, yeah, and not just criticizing one package because Republican or because Democrats did it and praising another because Republicans did it. Now, yes, again, I would say that all of those packages were good. It's one of the few things that I give Trump credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I I completely disagree with her on that. But at least, yeah. you know, yeah, at least she's consistently wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she definitely came across as the grown up in the room. Yeah. And it's one thing it's one thing if you if your theory of this debate is that people should be differentiating themselves against Trump. She didn't really do that much. She didn't really yeah. talk that much about him. She didn't really go after his record. Um she tried to make the point that the voters will quote tell you that it is time for a new generational conservative leader, which is just not what's bearing yeah. out in the polls. It's not no one believes yeah. that. And that was her like yeah. strongest point about her case for her being president but if your thought if your theory of the success in this debate is that you come across like a grown-up you get people's attention um i think she did pretty well in that yeah i, I think she did yeah. nicely and what's kind of it what's kind of interesting is the polls like she saw the biggest jump so in in, in that poll that i was talking about earlier yep uh about who would consider voting for her? She went from 30.2 to 46.7. Mm -hmm. uh, she saw the biggest jump. And honestly, I was a little bit surprised by that because while I was watching the debate, I was thinking, okay, if I'm a Republican and I watch this, I would be thinking, yeah, Nikki Haley did the best and I would probably be voting for Nikki Haley. Um, because for me, it's all about policy and substance. Yes, yeah. And and I, I you know, I just... A lot of Republicans don't really care about that. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm probably thinking about this. I'm probably thinking, I'm thinking about it this way. So there's a very good chance that that most Republicans who watch this debate are not going to be thinking that way. Yeah. Most Republicans are probably going to think the opposite. She was, she was too moderate. Um, she wasn't sycophantic enough to Trump. Uh, she wasn't, you know, um, she wasn't, uh, like adequately proving her conservative credentials. Cause like she was, you know, she was trying to bring everybody back to reality about abortion, mm -hmm. uh, saying yeah. that you're not going to pass these bans, like whether you agree with them or not, you're not going to pass them in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was hearing that and I was just thinking, um, I feel like a lot of conservatives are going to hear that and they're going to hate her for it. Yeah. I mean, she's right. Yeah. But they're going to, but they're going to hate her for that. But interestingly enough, I think that this does demonstrate that although, there is still a major hunger for somebody like Trump who is completely unsubstantive and just about vibes. There is at least some level of desire in the Republican Party to move towards someone who actually is trying to accomplish their agenda rather than just make them feel good because they owned the libs. Yeah, I think that's right. I think so. It, it is somewhat telling that, you know, Haley went from polling around like three percent or so. Uh, prior to the debate and now she's at like in a total national um, average she's at like uh, nearly six percent which is awesome like to 
now she's still at the low end, but like to double your your overall polling, that's great. And to your point, she's in the consideration set for way more people than ha- put her as like their choice. Um, and I think that's right. And I think what I think one of the things you're putting your finger on is a little bit of the um, schism in the Republican voting block um, yeah. that the different people on the stage are speaking to in a different, in different ways. So someone like Haley is speaking to, um, you know, like maybe the Trump curious or the DeSantis curious or the, you know, previously DeSantis curious before he tanked his whole campaign. Um, (laughs) like the people that are open to other options and looking for a conservative, um, who isn't necessarily just the Trump show. Um, yeah. Now, I thought that was interesting to contrast to someone like Ramaswamy, who... Yes, let's talk about Ramaswamy. Yeah, let's get let's get into him. I have my most notes about him, which is interesting because he said so little of substance. Um, yeah. To someone like him, who's clearly trying to appeal to a Trump, like, slash, like, evangelical, you know, base. He is trying to appeal to like the QAnon fanatic, Trump fanatic group of people, which is a potentially high risk, high reward kind of strategy. But it has it does seem like it has paid off. He's been like consistently increasing in the polls throughout the summer. Um and after the debate is now is like when it made it up to like almost ten percent according to the five thirty eight yeah. average, which is a huge amount of ground to make up for someone who is like a no name candidate prior yeah. to that. And Honestly, like we can talk about his performance, but he spoke the the second most of every everyone on stage behind Mike Pence. Yeah. Um, and he was constantly pushing himself out there to get attention. And again, that's largely a measure of success for like an early primary debate like this. Yeah, yeah. I I will say I think towards the beginning of the debate, I was impressed with his energy. Yep. Um I felt like he came in with the most amount of enthusiasm. And I think that he also, he was one of the few people that I thought actually wanted to be on that stage. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and like for the, the first few, like he, he had the strategy where every time someone would insult him, mm-hmm. like he would laugh at it. And like the first few times he did it, I was like, Oh, that's kind of endearing. And then it just came all across as so fake. Yeah. Like, Again, yeah, the first few times it's like, yeah, you know, fuck you. I'm just swatting that aside. But I feel like it's almost as if eventually it started getting to him mm-hmm. and he had to force it even more and force it even more to the point where it sounded like a fucking serial killer was laughing. Yeah, I, I thought I really like. I thought he came across immature. Yeah, Which is interesting because his whole thing I is agree. like trying to come across like not the like like new but not green and like capable but not an insider. And like I feel like between his laughing, he said at one point, like, we're gonna have some fun tonight, like um and and just his like lightheartedness combined with his aggression. I thought yeah. he really just came out and, and his and his interrupting and his constant like jumping in on things that weren't really referring to him and like I thought that overall he came across a bit petulant, a bit like he was throwing a bit of a tantrum 
on stage and just overall just like not taking it very seriously which yeah like uh, again like that might like i feel like that doesn't work if you're a voter that actually cares about the fact that the policies that these people on stage advocate for will like make or break your life yeah i would say you know he definitely did come across as a little bit more immature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he came across, I mean, in my mind, he came across better than DeSantis did. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, polling disagrees with me on this. Okay, I'm I'm willing to acknowledge that. But, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, DeSantis came across to me as just really flat. Um, yeah, just like his poll numbers. And just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Ramaswamy came across as, like, he not definitely not flat. Yeah. But kind of out of control yeah yeah, yeah. Um, a little manic and yeah. and i think that you know i think that if you're the type of person that's looking for an out of control candidate you already got it in trump so yes. why would you you know why would you why would you go for ramaswamy yeah. when you when you got trump i think that if trump were not in the field i think ramaswamy, ramaswamy would gain a lot more mm-hmm. but i mean you know people don't want the cheap knockoff you know <laughs> they, sure they they, they they want Trump. And also, uh, I mean, another thing that I will say, and this is this is not necessarily my analysis of what I think Republicans think. This was just my impression. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wants to like the fact that he was calling out other people on the stage for being bought and paid for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he used it in contexts to make the most pro elitist points you could possibly make that's such a good point oh my gosh like like the 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 part that a lot of people are talking about is the part where he says you know i can say this because i'm the only one on this stage who's not bought and paid for but the climate change agenda is a hoax exactly (laughs) and it's like you have to be bought and paid for in order to think that yeah or, like, or you like, have to I, believe the advertising campaigns that they've been doing since the 80s, which means, no, you might not be bought and paid for, but you have just, been tricked. <laughs> yeah, you have been tricked. Um, and, you know, and and look, I would I would look into what like what investments does he have personally? Yeah. What are some of the things that that he has invested in? You know, yeah. is he does he have investments in, in fossil fuel? Does he have, uh, you know what what industries is he per- personally profiting mm-hmm. uh, profiting off of yeah um because either there is like for someone like ramaswamy who is a financial elite um there's only two reasons why he would say something like that uh number 1 it's because he's being bribed to do it or number 2 it's because he is benefiting in some way from it like the people that buy and pay for politicians are the fossil fuel industries that pay them to lie about science. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it it's, he's right that they're bought and paid for, but you know, not for the reasons that you think. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. I also thought like, so, so I think Ramaswamy's appeal, I think works much better in long form contexts where he does come across as thoughtful and articulate and you know he can make his arguments in a debate context he's more like his website which if you go we i think we talked about it when we broke down his candidacy um if you go to his website it's it's a a bunch of 
bullets that are very aggressive and very short and don't make the argument. And so like yeah. something like his, the climate change agenda is a hoax line, which is like something from his website. You can see it everywhere. It's which got booed. Yeah. It's difficult to make that argument when the question was like the question to the candidates was like, how can you convince young voters that Republicans will take climate change seriously? And when, <laughs> and like, and his answer is just, and fuck it's, the environment. we're not, his answer is, yeah. we're not going to do that. And, and the moderators even listed a bunch of facts that are like, it's pretty hard to be like, yep, we've had the hottest oceans off the coast of Florida ever. And your response to that is climate change is a hoax. Like it, he really did come across like he was a Republican from like 2010 and not yeah. one who lives on earth right now. Yeah. It's like Ramaswamy. Okay. Here's what you're supposed to say as a Republican. In fact, exactly what Nikki Haley said. Yeah. You know, as a Republican, what you're supposed to say is climate change is real and yep. people are causing it, but the current solutions that are being proposed by Democrats are inadequate. Yep. So we need we need to propose better solutions. Yeah. Now, that is a substantive or that is a non-substantive answer mm -hmm. because the Repu the actual Republican uh policies for fighting against climate change are yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, to be fair, her her solution her, that she talked about for fighting against climate change was make China and India do it. Yeah. Which is yeah. like I mean that that was something of substance. And that and that is a good point. And also one of the things I will even say in you know as a as, as kind of a point in favor of some of the things that Republicans were talking about on stage, mm -hmm. a lot of them did bring up the legitimate point that a lot of the uh a lot of the resources used to make batteries yeah. are, you know, are mined overseas. Mm -hmm. A lot of those batteries are created in China. Yeah. And that is a legitimate criticism of, uh, yeah. of the electric car industry. That yeah. is, I mean, I think that, I think that the solution for that is we need to invest more into it yep. so that we can, you know, try to get that in the United States and not in China. And, and so it that, doesn't land you know, as a criticism of Biden because that's exactly what, the Inflation Reduction Act did was like invest in green jobs in the yeah. United States. So yeah, yeah, and also you know the the Chip Act, which you know yeah. helps to uh, helps to bring some of those chips that are used in uh, electric cars to mm -hmm. to be uh, manufactured in the United States. Like that's it's not a good criticism of Biden, but it's a legitimate criticism of the electric car industry. Yeah. Now their solution yeah. is keep burning oil, keep burning coal, fuck the environment. Yes. But at least it's a substantive criticism. Yeah. I thought of Ramaswamy's point. He was like, it, it, I think it was his, in his clothing, closing statement. He said something like, fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. That was part of his closing statement. Um, And I don't know who that's for and who believes yeah. that because everybody recognizes that Fossil fuels are a finite resource. So that's yeah. not a particularly compelling vision for the future when you when you yeah. say the key to prosperity in humanity is something that ends eventually. Well, <laughs> it actually it actually does make sense though, because you know, if we keep burning fossil fuels the way that we are, mm -hmm. then you know, the world and civilization will basically be, de be destroyed before we run out of them to begin with. So Perfect. It's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the world is the key to human prosperity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's. I mean, and, and and look, look. I I do give him credit somewhat for all for talking about nuclear energy as a potential uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, as as a potential solution. And he has, you know, I have seen him do interviews in which he's been asked about, you know, environmental stuff. And he's brought up like, hey, you know, what about nuclear energy? Why are why are progressive activists always down on nuclear energy? And I think that, look, I think you, know, you if you've listened to if you listen to our episode about nuclear energy, kind of breaking it down, you know, we, we acknowledge the fact that this could actually be a part of the solution. Yeah. It's not the full solution, yeah, but, it's abs- totally. but it can absolutely be a part of it. It's also frustrating that in the context of we need to mine coal, frack, burn oil, the nuclear energy point is more of a hypothetical. Like, oh, yeah. well, if you really think this is a problem, why don't we do nuclear? Because like his first and foremost, his answer is fossil fuels. Um yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think I think the last thing I want to say about Ramaswamy, aside, you know, we've, we've kind of subbed up his obnoxiousness. Um, and I think like, yeah, that's disappointing to see him perform so aggressively on stage, I guess. The other thing I wanted to point out is like he despite his the policies he named being like aggressive and he was probably the most I would say probably the most extreme person on stage from pretty much on pretty much every policy point he made. Um, he is still leaving out some of the worst parts of his policies. Like his actual substantive yeah. policies are worse than the extremist perspectives that he was spouting on stage. Like he, he, he was talking about education and he said, quote, every high school senior should have to pass the same civics test that frankly, every immigrant, including my mother had to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. But as we've talked about before, the part that he leaves out in that policy idea is that his actual policy is also that you don't get to vote until you're 25 if you don't pass that civics test. So like yeah. he's he's just making a point about education and how we should all be aware of our constitution and civics, but leaving out the fact that he thinks that should have a actual impact on your ability to vote between 18 and 25. On top of that, he recently came out with a policy proposal that would basically make it so that there is no absentee voting. It's all same day. You have to do it in person. It's all paper ballots, which, okay, fine. And it's a national holiday, which, okay, fine. Like like those last two. But basically, no early voting at all. And as I've, as I've said plenty of times on this mm-hmm. pod... Anytime your electoral strategy involves trying to get less people to vote instead of trying to have better policies that yeah. appeal to more people, that is that is fascistic. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, of everyone on stage, Ramaswamy is a fascist. Oh yeah, like his oh, his yeah. policy proposals are fascist. His whole yeah. thing is American identity, like, like the sanctity of American military defense at home, like a religious in like the religious kind of enforcement, uh, confinement to the nuclear family, like all of yeah. these kind of like extremely conservative. Yeah, what the enforced... fuck was that pot shot at single parents? I know that the like, government like paying single moms to stay at home rather than work. Or whatever, it's like, or okay, like that. okay, let me or rather let than me, get married. Let me get this. Let me Ugh. get this straight. Let me get this straight, you son of a bitch. Like, you're saying that, you know, the government should stop supporting uh, single parents in order to try to incentivize them to stay in marriages 
potentially with people that you yeah. know are terrible that are yeah. unhappy marriages or to potentially force you into marrying somebody who um maybe you just had a one night stand with you think there should be a paternal libertarian paternalistic approach mm -hmm. to trying to get people to stay in marriage that are potentially not happy yeah what the actual fuck and like if you are a single parent who has your welfare or your or your benefits you know pulled out from under you by the ramaswamy administration right and then as a result you have to be shopping around for someone to help support you right Think about the fucking power dynamic at play here when you're like, oh, yeah. you're now the breadwinner. Like you're the like I have to I have to stay with you and stay married to be able to afford to live and have a roof over my head and provide for my yeah. children. Like we that like that is fucking insane. Yeah. Like it's already messed up enough that the Republican point of view when it comes to welfare is usually take it out from under people so that you force them to yeah. actually you know to um to get a job that maybe they don't like or, he's or taking that able to further. get like <laughs> there's so yeah. many yeah anyway he's he's taking a step he's taking that a step further and saying pull it out from under you so that you force yourself into into a fucking romantic relationship <laughs> like what what the hell man yeah he is like by far I, the most extreme candidate i think we've seen in their a republican party primary in a long time and also can we talk about the fact that it wasn't just him that called for starting a motherfucking war with Mexico. Yeah. What the fuck was, I mean, that was a fucking how? question from the debate how moderators. Is, how is, how is that? How is that even on the table? Like, like this, this shows you how far the Republican party has fallen when it comes to the issues of the border. Like mm -hmm. there is, there was a time when the idea of building a wall on the southern border was an SNL parody of a Republican uh, border policy. I know. Like, and people universally were yeah. like, you know, th that was... Tim that Scott was, was like, was it's only going to cost $10 billion. That's all we need it, to finish the wall. And then what? He was like, that'll stop the fentanyl. It's like, no, it won't. People it are won't. not running across the border with backpacks full of fentanyl. <laughs> yeah. And look... I think the fentanyl thing is a that's an interesting thing to have a discussion about, and I think that we should do a deep dive into fentanyl at some it, point for sure. Like, yeah, but a wall ain't gonna do shit. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but but the thing is, but the thing is, it used to be that it was outside of the Overton window to talk about a wall because you know that was just that's like again that's that's comically stupid. Mm -hmm. The idea of building a fucking wall on the southern border is comically stupid. Then Trump comes along, starts starts talking about it, um, starts getting people on board with it, even though it will solve nothing. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a mainstream Republican talking point. And now it's the moderate Republican position and the extreme Republican position is let's start a fucking war with Mexico. Yes. Let's send troops across the border into Mexico. Mm-hmm. Whether the Mexican government consents to it or not, yeah. which, which would effectively start a war with Mexico. You're talking yeah. about an invasion. Yep. You're talking about a fucking invasion. Like, now I'm thinking, oh my God, in four years, is that going to be the moderate position? Oh my God. Yeah. You know, what's the, what's the next extreme position? What, is it going to be to fucking nuke Mexico? Mm -hmm. And the moderates are saying, no, 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 let's just send over troops. All right, we'll just send over troops. That'll be the moderate position. Yeah. I'm reasonable. We're going to send over troops to Mexico. 
Jesus Christ. DeSantis' I... fucking applause line was how cold and dead the drug dealers are going to be when they're, like, when his military shoots them across as they try to cross the border, which is like, we can talk about how bad drug dealers are. Like, we can, we can work on policies to, like, put in place, like, fighting the cartels, all of that stuff. We should not be executing extrajudicial killings at the border to, to, and, and, like, having applause lines about how much murder we're going to be doing. And also think about how stupid you have to be to think, well, you know, right now fentanyl is a very dangerous thing in the United States and we need to protect Americans from the danger of fentanyl. And you know, what's going to make America a lot safer from danger starting a war with our fucking neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to make America safer. Yep. Being in a war with our, you know, with, with our neighbor on the southern border, that right there, that's going to make it a lot safer. Yeah. Because there are no border towns that might get caught up in the crossfire. That's not going to happen. Wait, one last thing I did want to say about Ramaswamy, especially related to foreign policy. I thought, so there was this question that you may recall about that the, uh, the moderators asked about continuing to fund the war in Ukraine and continuing to contribute yeah. to the Ukrainian defense. Um, and during this exchange, like DeSantis and Ramaswamy were just like, defend America, America, defend the geographic, like, like America, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Pence and Haley were making the, like the point about like, Supporting Ukraine is supporting America. De- preventing yeah. Russia from attacking a NATO country is supporting America. Preventing Russia from expanding their geographic like, uh, uh, and political influence is defending America. And I thought they came across like so much the adults in the room relative yeah. to Ramaswamy and, and DeSantis because it was like, like it, it, it was an interesting moment where DeSantis and Ramaswamy came across like total noobs with regard yeah. to foreign policy, which they are because they have no foreign policy background at all. Yeah. Um, and they really came across like they didn't even really get what was going on. Yeah. And like, look, I will say that, you know, spending packages with no strings attached. Sure. To Ukraine. Like that's, that's, that's a policy worthy of potential critique. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I would say that I think that um, we shouldn't be super cavalier mm-hmm. about that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't support Ukraine. I'm saying that it is worth taking a, you know, taking a more uh, taking a closer look at the packages that we're giving to Ukraine. Sure. Now, what I will also say is I think that it's smart policy to support them peripherally and not attack them ourselves because again that would start world war three um but you know i i think that there's definitely some criticisms a reasonable person could make sure. of biden's ukraine policy yeah um what desantis and ramaswamy said we should we should uh focus our military on mexico instead of ukraine <laughs> that ain't it that ain't it agreed agreed okay so all right, we are barely making it through this list of <laughs> this incredibly full yeah. stage. All right, let's let's talk about Pence. Let's yes. talk about Pence. Yeah. Um. So Pence, I've got I literally I, two bullet points about Pence because he's nothing. I I realized something about Pence, and it actually made me realize something 
you know, and I'll, I'll explain this later, but it actually made me realize something about Burgum, mm. uh, which I'll, I'll get into later. But Pence has the personality of mayonnaise. Hmm. Like without the kick goes well <laughs> yeah like goes goes decently with a lot of things mm-hmm. but is useless by itself and kind of disgusting mm-hmm. you know like it's a good background thing like you know sure yeah, yeah like yeah. you you would never like you would never you would never make a sandwich with just mayonnaise that would be disgusting but yeah. you know you, you put mayonnaise on like cheese and ham and like what i'm saying is that he's the vice president for... of sandwiches is what you're saying exactly he's <laughs> Like he is the quintessential vice president of an administration that uh, hogs all of the attention. Like the, mm-hmm. when the, the, the president yeah. uh, who's the head of the administration hogs all of the attention. And I think that that's pretty much why Trump agreed to choose him mm-hmm. because he's just, he's so boring and relatively inoffensive. Yeah. But the thing is when he's by himself, it's just, he's just kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, he didn't I, say yeah. anything of substance. It was just talking point after talking point after platitude, after cliche, mm-hmm. after, you know, I'm for good things and against bad things and I'm for America and America is good and I love America and yeah. yay. Like it's, it was just so stale. I agree. He spoke for the most time. He spoke for 12 really? and a half minutes of How? debate time. And like, yeah, and he like didn't I, say anything. I'm surprised by that because I just, I don't really, I, I don't find anything that he said yeah. memorable. I agree. Like I, yeah, and he was asked like a very so so my couple points about him. He, he was asked like a very specific pointed question about um, whether his uh, administration may have played a part in um, the kind of housing homelessness crime crisis that's facing the country right now. And he didn't even say no. He like didn't answer the question at all. And this was, I think his, I think this is to your point, Nathan, is that he didn't answer any question directly. He just pivoted every question to whatever the talking point was that he wanted to say. So like, rather than saying like, no, my administration didn't, we are the toughest on crime ones or anything like that. He just, he just tries to talk about defunding the police and all that yeah. and and all that stuff which is silly cuz that's didn't happen yeah. and the violent crime rates are up more in conservative cities than democratic cities but but all that aside like all of his he was just pivots he would just pivot to whatever talking point it was um and yeah he didn't say anything of interest the whole time i literally again i was watching at one and a half speed and he was still talking too slowly <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like there was one yeah. moment where like he stops the moderators because they, they were they were asking all the candidates about whether mike pence made the right decision by on january 6th with certifying the vote and like this was a classic like do you just support general uh democratic principles things and he literally he was so talking points based and so canned that he literally stops the moderators and it's like i have a point to make about this and i'm gonna say it to spend like 45 seconds or a minute saying absolutely nothing. Yeah. It was 
from I was like I was paying rapt attention. I was like, this is your moment, dude. You you took all the spotlight on you to like yeah. make a point about how, you know, you did the right thing on January sixth. And it was literally like it was literally like God, America, Constitution, yeah. I'm so boring. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Speaking of boring, uh, let's talk about Scott. Oh, my God. If Mike Pence has the personality of mayonnaise, uh, Tim Scott has the personality of stale mayonnaise. <laughs> like, he's at the point where he doesn't even go well with anything. Yeah. He's just like, man. In fact, I, honestly, stale mayonnaise might be more exciting than Tim Scott. At least it's got a zest if it's gone bad. At least it's got a zest to it. Like, at least it's going to make you, you know, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I, I just, God, talking point after talking point after talking point after talk, like just rehearsed yeah. talking point with no fucking substance. Mm -hmm. It was just like, I mean, it was Kevin McCarthy's Twitter page, basically. Yeah, it was like, it's like, absurd. It's like he was, it's like, it's like he went through Kevin McCarthy's Twitter page for a day and just memorized every tweet and just mm -hmm. put them in there when appropriate. Yeah. Like it was, and, and sometimes when inappropriate as well, mm -hmm. like it was, man, I, what a forgettable performance and what a fucking, what a joke. Yeah. What a totally. joke of a performance. I agree. All of his points were very old school Republican, very like boring, like, they just didn't say very much and um his points were not interesting he didn't get any attention really he was like really and and most importantly i think like i just kept like spotting all the lies yeah. like even more God. every single point he made was just dripping in falsehood it was it was remarkable yeah. and you could catch it because of how slow and little he said yeah so you could really dig into how false everything he was saying was and it was just like who is this for why are you yeah. up here like at least when pence would lie um he said it in you know his endearing rehearsed politician -y way <laughs> and that soft voice to where you could almost be like, oh, you're lying to me, but you're kind of cute. <laughs> like with Tim Scott, I mean, he didn't put any, he didn't even put any personality into his lies. Yeah, exactly. And he just yeah. fucking said them. And he keeps, and he tries to talk about his record, but his record is not good. Like he bragged about like the tax cuts and jobs act. It was like, yeah, which by the way, everybody knows cannot, that 80% of the benefit yeah. goes to the wealthiest people after 10 years. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that that's, like that's what you're leading with, buddy. That's yeah. what you're fucking leading with. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, yeah. Like it's, it was, yeah, extremely forgettable. Mm -hmm. Um, not quite as forgettable as Asa Hutchinson. Oh boy, he was awful. <laughs> <laughs> like I, yeah, and like not even offensively awful. No. Just like, I mean. And uh, to be fair, to be fair, because he's a candidate who's at the edge of the stage, he doesn't mm -hmm. get as much time to speak. Yeah. He only spoke for like seven so, minutes. So, yeah. So it is very possible that maybe, you know, maybe we just think he did really badly because, 
you know, he didn't really get to speak much. But honestly, when he did speak, he wasted again, it. it yeah. He wasted it. Most of the time he just wasted it. Yeah. I agree. You like know? I actually felt really bad for Hutchinson and Pergram because it was like like it, it really felt like they weren't prepared to be there. And it also yeah. felt like the moderators were like, yeah, you're well, one thing that's interesting about Burgum is apparently like he had he had been injured or something mm-hmm. and he was on yeah. some drug while he was he was doing the debate. Uh, yeah, that really makes um, sense. I forget the specifics of it, but like he had hurt himself and he was on some some drugs, so that that's why he was a little loopy. Gotcha. Um, that really reflected in his opening statement. His like intro was absolute gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas but, whereas Hutchinson's like they didn't even ask him a question. Like usually they ask questions of the candidates and then the candidates will turn that into an opening statement of some kind. And Hutchinson, they literally just said, and you know, governor Hutchinson. (laughs) And then he made his opening statement. That was it. Yeah. 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 He does have the, he does have the, uh, dubious criticism. He, he was the person that made the first criticism of Trump on the stage. That is true. It took 45 minutes (laughs) before anybody criticized Trump. And it was lit. It was so, fucking limp dick like yeah. that's the that's the other side of this dubious uh like claim is that it, it he literally said it starts at the top with the respect for our justice system that a former president who's under indictment has undermined by attacking judges that a former president like you're not even gonna name him you're not even gonna talk about him yeah. it's just like <laughs> oh am i allowed to say this it was <laughs> yeah it was embarrassing yeah. uh, it was forgettable in okay. terms of Burgum, so here is my hot take on Burgum. Okay. And you're going to think that I'm not serious when I first say this, but I'm actually serious, and I'll explain why. Mm-hmm. Burgum won the debate. And here's why, I'm, here's why I'm saying that. All right? None of these candidates are ever going to be president. Okay. None of them. Yeah. All right. The person who's going to win the nomination is going to be Trump. Mm-hmm. All right. I just, I cannot see any reality in which is not Trump. Even if he does get indicted, he has enough support in the primary for them, for his supporters. Just to he had enough support shit. on that stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He like, he, he's going to be the nominee. Yeah. None of these people are running to actually be president. Mm-hmm. The best any of them could possibly hope to get is vice president. Ramaswamy, too interesting. Yeah. He's not, you know, Trump would, Ramaswamy probably wants to be vice president. That's why he, you know, is emphatic in his, uh, in his defenses of Trump. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Ramaswamy, you're just too interesting. Yeah. All right. You're too charismatic. You're too energetic. Trump's never going to pick you. Mm -hmm. He sure as hell is never going to pick Pence because he thinks that Pence uh, betrayed him. He's not going to pick Haley because, you know, Haley's actually criticized him. He's not going to pick Meatball Ron because, you know, he hates is, Ron DeSantis. Yeah, totally. Um, he, uh, Scott has been too critical of Trump mm-hmm. in order for, uh, in order for him to ever pick Scott. Obviously, Christie's been too, uh, you know, been too critical. Obviously, Hutchinson has been too critical. Burgum, on the other hand, he didn't criticize Trump he didn't say anything super offensive. He's just an old timey, semi likable, 
a Midwestern governor who is the perfect person to just kind of be there, right? To not really say anything, not really do anything, to just kind of be there. And if we if we look at this debate from the point of view of none of these people are ever going to be president, so what's the next best thing? Well, probably vice president. Then I would say that Burgum comes out on top with that, hmm. right? If I'm if I'm a Trump advisor, and I know that Trump is never going to pick somebody who's going to out who might outshine him in any way, or might even approach outshining him, and I know that I want to pick somebody that's relatively inoffensive, that's not going to piss people off, and not only that, but someone from the Midwest to boot, mm-hmm. which is what yeah. Trump desperately needs in order to win, mm-hmm. you know, then I'd be saying I'd be advising Trump, hey. You should pick Burgum. So you're Burgum should be your vice president. By being like the most corpse-like of anyone on the stage. <laughs> that is exactly won, what I'm saying. <laughs> I that is exactly what just, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, he's the happiest one on the stage because he's high. Like that's how you win. <laughs> no, no, I'm. I think that I. I look. I think that the best any of these people can hope to get is vice president, mm-hmm. and the person who's most likely to get vice president is Burgum. I'm not saying he's going to get vice president. I'm saying that of the people on that stage, he's most likely to. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. So Burgum's the big winner. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> I realize that we have talked almost not at all about Ron DeSantis, who's currently, you know, at least like second in the polls. Um, oh, yeah, he was up there. He was up there. Honestly, what I have in my notes is what's with his awkward little smile. <laughs> that's all I got. That's all I really got well, from that guy. I mean, his advisors told him that he needs to try to be more <laughs> yeah. likable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, you know what people like? Smiles. Here's one. I'm doing this. Smile, you see? It's like, <laughs> no, less smiling, less smiling. Yeah. It's as if they um, were like, okay, when you finish a point, you have to then smile. And it's exactly what he did. He followed his instructions. I mean, I mean, the thing that he kept doing was he kept doing this thing where a question would be asked or there'd be a conversation and be like, Hey, this is all a useless conversation. We need to be talking about the important things. And then he would talk about some culture war garbage. Yes. I, yes, totally. He is a incomplete one trick pony. He literally turned a question about climate change into a point about corporate media and how they, how biased they are in their, their purporting. By the way, every single person on that stage was, praising him for that because <laughs> he saved them from having to answer a really awkward question. Yeah. So like, yeah, he, every, I, I, I guarantee you that every single person on that stage was thinking, Oh, thank God. I don't have to actually <laughs> <Yeah>. answer that. <laughs> yeah. Except Ramaswamy, who was dumb enough to actually answer. You're like, Oh, Rake, I'll step on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, I just thought it was crazy. He was, li- your, your point is exactly right. He was like, shut up. Stop talking about these policies. We have to talk about what really matters. Getting trans kids out of our schools and like, la, 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 la. You know, de- getting rid of the Department of Education. Can we talk about how fucking crazy it is yeah. that there were multiple people advocating for getting Pence rid of the department? was talking about it. Yeah. Pence, the supposed moderate, who is definitely not a moderate. Yeah was talking about getting rid of the Department of Education. Like, what did they ever do to you? Like, <laughs> and abolishing teachers' unions, like, they are yeah. gunning for American schools. They just want to destroy them. Yeah, like, considering how fucking horrible conditions are mm-hmm. for teachers in America, 
you're really going to go after the fucking teachers union? Like they have the perfect that, solution, Nathan. They're going to be tough on crime. So our, our, our jails will be full of people. And you know what schools need for teaching kids? People. So we can force them for 13 cents an hour. We can force the prisoners to teach ah, the kids. That's perfect. <laughs> that's a great idea. And they have to say only the things you let them say. But it's not a violation of their civil rights, right? Because they're criminals already. So that's the big plan. <laughs> you know what? I think that, that I think that you're giving them too much credit because that <laughs> might actually work. <laughs> Okay, so closing <laughs> like, thoughts. Like, that's a smarter plan than any of them came up with. About closing the thoughts. So, like I said, I think in terms of actually getting something out of this, ultimately, I think Burgum's the most likely to actually get something out of it in terms of maybe being vice president. Um, if we're talking about in terms of likelihood of potentially winning, I would say that Haley improved those chances the most mm -hmm. DeSantis didn't fuck them up terribly yeah which is really Ramaswamy which is definitely a win for him um Ramaswamy as like as bad as he came across to a lot of people he did give himself some name recognition yeah and he's which the chaos I think is, candidate and yeah, then he's the, the Trump base loves I, yeah. the chaos candidate yeah yeah so I think I think that he I think he benefited from it somewhat I think that DeSantis did. I think that Haley did. Um, I think Christie, you know, again, you got to, you got to judge these people based on what they're there to do. He wasn't there to actually try to win the debate. He was there to try to kamikaze Trump. And I don't think that he did that well enough. Yeah. Like, I think that he missed some really good opportunities to, to lambast Trump. Um, and, and yeah, he missed him. Yeah. Um, Scott's a huge loser. Yeah. Uh, Hutchinson is a huge loser. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's my take. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I think you're, I think you're overall, I think you're totally right. Um, I think Haley came across as the policy person, the adult in the room, which was like, I guess good to see. Although like that's <laughs> definitely appealing to me and I don't know yeah. how much of the Republican base. Um, Ultimately, I think like <clears throat> Vivek's coverage afterwards has been super positive. Like the whole story of the debate was that he ran the show. Um, I don't yeah. really, I didn't really see that, but I think his name recognition and name ID is definitely like improved yeah. a lot. Um, and I think the best thing DeSantis could have hoped for was not getting totally dragged through the mud, which I think he did effectively. But I think it's just a matter of time before his campaign just totally runs out of gas. Um, yeah. I would not be surprised if like Haley and Vivek gained some momentum over the next few months. Um, uh, ultimately though, though, like I don't know exactly what everybody gets out of this in the near term in terms of like long-term political prospects. I think Vivek is the youngest, the wealthiest, the person most likely to come back around um, yeah, I agree in, with that. in like 2028 or something like that. And the person that, on that stage, like, makes me, you know, honestly most nervous from a policy perspective. So thank you for tuning in for this very special episode of The Perspectrum. And now we'll end our episode as we usually do with our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Well, Michael, you know what my highlight is. Starfield. Uh, 
Starfield. I uh, I it it finally early access started last night. I finally got to play it. Mm-hmm. How is and it? there's definitely there's definitely some things I need to get a feel for because mm-hmm. like it's a it's a Bethesda game. There's a lot of crafting. There's a lot of there, there's even more elements in this than there has been in any um, in any Bethesda Game Studios game ever. Uh, so like I it's it's definitely one that I'm gonna have to get a feel for. Mm-hmm. But my first impressions are like. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> like it's nice. I, I am so excited about it. Sweet. That's awesome. Yep. What about you, Mike? What's your highlight? Um, I think so I've been like working towards a big meeting at work for the last couple of weeks and that happened yesterday. Um, and it went overall pretty well. Um, and honestly, that's as much as I was hoping for. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my highlight. Nice. Well, cool. And I will thank all the people that make this show possible. So thank you to Jerry DeViller. Fade Out Scoop, Kyle Chaska, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen for being patrons and supporting the show. And if you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash theperspectrum and throw us a couple bucks and help uh, keep us in business. And if you want to see uh, us in video, um, we have a YouTube channel. You can search The Perspectrum on YouTube. And thank you to Kayla for all they do to make this show possible as our editor. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.